Today, the good Dr. Kashi takes us deeper into the realm of scientific thinking by identifying and analyzing three sabotaging belief systems operating right under our noses. Your BS, belief systems, <clears throat> has a tremendous effect on how you approach problem solving and goal striving. Let's talk about it. Roll the intro! Hello and welcome to Coffee with Cashy. I am your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy, and on today's adventure pulls us deeper into science-mindedness. It's a fun one. It's a fun one. Back again and again to the age-old question, how does what you believe influence the way you process your thoughts, thereby dictating how you act? <laughs> Rigid or flexible beliefs, scientific or dogmatic processing of those beliefs, rational or impulsive thoughts coming from that processing, constructive or, de constructive or de destructive outcomes based on the decisions of those rational or impulsive thoughts. Well, it depends on what you experience, right? Depends on what you experience, all those things. Or to paraphrase, I guess, the Stoic philosopher Epictetus, I think is how you pronounce it, please help me, uh, how you interpret your experience. Oh, experiences themselves are one thing, but how you interpret them are probably more important. Indeed, a major factor when overcoming adversity or solving problems and achieving your goals depends on how you process the information from your environment. And that's, that's kind of what we're focusing on. By kind of, I mean definitely. <laughs> Therefore, observation is the first step in settling a conflict between what you're doing and what you want. Those sorts of conflicts happen all the time. Also known as self-sabotage, right? So it's time to get a move on. But first, here's what you are learning. When you should actively observe. And when you do observe, what you are looking for. All right, seems reasonable enough. A little bit of background here. If you are striving to overcome adversity, solve a problem or accomplish a goal and find yourself acting in ways that sabotage your progress, in other words, like you want one thing and do another thing and that other thing you're doing is the exact opposite <laughs> direction of what you want to accomplish, or you're in a position where you sabotage yourself and it keeps you from making any progress at all, then, then there's a conflict with your information processing methodology. There's a conflict in there. Therefore, your focus starts on the information processing side of things. And this is arguably the most important thing ever, maybe, in the context of humanity. <laughs> maybe ever. Th this does get nuanced really fast, uh, but you can simplify it like this. When you start doing things that, to put it frankly, are the exact opposite of what you want to achieve, then the rational, constructive, flexible science mind was edged out. <laughs> It was edged out by the impulsive, rigid, and self-destructive dogmatic mind. This means that you need to settle the information processing conflict between what you value, what that value means to you, and how you reinforce those connections. And you can reinforce them rationally by being constructive and flexible, or you can reinforce them impulsively by being self-destructive and rigid. To lay things out so everything is clear, I do want to say there is definitely a difference between being legitimately confused about an outcome because you thought you made a constructive decision and the outcome was lousy, and being frustrated by an outcome because you did a self-destructive thing, knew you were doing a self-destructive thing, and then did it anyway. <laughs> say there's a conflict between your desire to lose fat and how you eat. Say there's a conflict between those two things. 
Pretend you're eating more than you need, even, even after you know you've had enough. Man, there's something in my eyeball, sorry. This behavioral response, although it's in direct conflict with your preferences, it may very well be in line with your beliefs and thought patterns around food and eating. And this happens when there are three things happening. One, two, or all three. Many times they, they all happen. Bring out the whiteboard of wisdom here. There is a one, a low frustration tolerance. Two, a twisted sense of fairness. And three, entitlement to an outcome. When you overeat, despite your preference to eat enough, it makes sense to say that, well, you were overeating because you were responding to a stimulus. However, you were responding to a processed stimulus. Back to that pesky information processing stuff. You were responding to a processed stimulus. Back to the whiteboard of wisdom again, double-sided for twice the wisdom. <laughs> See if I'm in frame here. Yeah, cool. All right, so you have a stimulus. You receive information. Then there's that space between that, that we, you know, we love to talk about. That you <laughs> That's where you process the information, where you analyze it, interpret it, and form a conclusion about it. And then you respond. You act in the basis of that conclusion that was formed in the space between, right? That's the space where you want to inject that logic and reason so that you can influence your response, right? Aristotle said, I think, that man is a rational animal. And Robert Heinlein, he quipped back, paraphrased, no, he is not rational, he is rationalizing. <laughs> so it's time to explore the problem a little bit more with that in mind. There are three big issues here. Again, bringing that up. That low tolerance to frustration, that twisted sense of fairness, and the entitlement to an outcome, as if you were owed, as if you were owed. These impulse-driven issues are all swept under the rug in favor of putting agency on the stimulus or stimulator. This means that when, when people think, this means that, how do I say this? This means that people think the stimulus is what caused the response, that the stimulus caused the self-sabotage. Well, I ate it because you keep buying it and it's in the house, right? The stimulus caused the response. All this stuff, Ends up getting swept under the rug, rug, right? The rug, right? So let's let's break this down a little bit. If somebody else, okay, uh, <laughs> aside from blaming another person for the decision you made, it means you've discounted. It means you've discounted all of your information processing, right? Like we just said, and that that is the primary reason again why the responsibility was placed elsewhere when this is removed it puts you under the impression that the, the processing has been excavated or excised from this which means the agency of the responsibility was placed somewhere else if somebody else got a bunch of snack food for the house the idea of staying on plan is definitely frustrating compared to the idea of eating all the snacks well it's everywhere you and anyone else that comes over gets to eat it, it only makes sense for me to eat it too. They get to do it, so it makes sense for me to do it. To us, a sense of fairness. So, back up a little bit here. The idea of staying on plan is more frustrated compared to eating snacks. Is frustrating compared to eating snacks than the you know, low frustration tolerance, strike one. If it's everywhere and you and anyone else that comes to the house, they should be able to eat it too because they get to, it only makes sense to eat it. Now there's a twisted sense of fairness, strike two. And 
Maybe if you got a bunch of other food or kept it put away or, or kept it all to yourself or whatever, I'd still be on plan. Entitlement to an outcome. Strike three. Indeed, your impulsive, rigid, self-destructive, dogmatic thinking, you can easily convince yourself that the stimulus, that the stimulus is what caused the response. Given the picture you paint for yourself, the conclusion actually makes perfect sense. And this is why you go through with it. It is a shame, however, that the premises in which you base your logic are complete garbage. <laughs> to that end, though, the logic rating, the logic rating of the decision is relatively high. However, the reasonability is quite low. This is what Heinlein's rationalizing is. The difference between being rational, reasonable and logical, and irrational, distorted but still logical, is the act of rationalizing, where you use your amazing supercomputer of a brain forcing yourself to make sense of something that is totally bogus. Clearly, there was a stimulus. Clearly, there's a stimulus. It happens all the time, right? We all get stimulated. And, and that resulted in a response that, that was conflicting with your preferences and desires. And this is why the focus on information processing is so goddamn important. Whatever your original stimulus was, it was arousing enough to put your impulsive brain to work. And if you live and act impulsively on a consistent basis, then this threshold to activate your impulsive brain is quite low. And, I keep bringing this out, and your space between stimulus and response is ever shrinking. <laughs> and the sabotaging micro conversation that goes on in your head can happen so fast it feels like you automatically jump from stimulus to response. Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> as if the stimulus itself results in the sabotaging behavior. It all happens in the space between. It all happens in the space between. In other words, once you've rationalized a logical conclusion based off of your garbage premises, you end up putting that to work to save yourself mental energy. And these cognitive shortcuts are necessary evils, right? If humans were forced to consider all the options before acting, then they would be paralyzed and the species would be all but defunct. However, there, when there is consistent conflict between what you're doing and what you want, then something has to change. And that means you gotta take out ye olde magnifying glass to have a look-see. You gotta take it out to have a look-see. So here's a summary of what you learned. The first step in settling conflicts between what you want and what you do is observing the conflict and then identifying impulsive, rigid, and self-destructive thinking. And many times it seems benign because it's socially acceptable, right? People say that sort of stuff all the time, even if they're joking, especially if they're joking. How do you know when you should actively observe? Well, is there a disturbance in the force? <laughs> All types of negative mood balance, especially when, there's, when it's related to a, a desire or a preference or a violated expectation, or if you're just consistently doing things that, that are really just oddly against the outcomes that you want. And when you do sabotage yourself, what is the stimulus in your environment? What are you thinking before you do it? What are you thinking while you do it? What are you thinking after? When you do observe what you are thinking, what do you look out for? Is it a logical and reasonable interpretation of the evidence? Is there any evidence at all? Is there any evidence of a low frustration tolerance, a twisted sense of fairness, or entitlement to an outcome? In other words, is there a deficiency in scientific thinking? So in conclusion here, I'll paraphrase one of the most profound contemporary philosophers of the generation. PayPal? 
PayPal? If you want to settle a dispute, then first you must file a claim. <laughs> and that's exactly what you've done. Soon you'll take the next step in resolving the conflict by actively disputing it. In the vast majority of cases, however, the purposeful observation is enough to resolve the conflict on its own. And thank goodness for that. Thank goodness that conflicts often resolve themselves when you observe them. Uh, but how can that be? How can it, we all know it happens. It does happen to you. I know that you've experienced this. It appears that many conflicts between what you want and what you do, resulting in self-sabotage, are also subject to Werner Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Yes, the real Heisenberg, the real one. <laughs> the one outside of the TV show, okay? Indeed, a pillar of empirical science is that it's impossible to know exactly what's going on until you have a real solid look at it. A real solid look. However, in many circumstances, the very act of observation changes the outcome. In quantum chemistry, that is a royal pain in the... <laughs> outside of life in the lab, this experimental annoyance is the most powerful tool at your disposal. So if you're interested in more solutions like this to get more of what you want and get it faster, then tell Dr. Kashi by leaving him a comment and sending him a message because he gets back to all of them. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out! <laughs>